0: DenverCrush.com <laughs>
1: The your Kingdom podcast. We are your hosts, Jessica. And I am Chris Eaton. And, uh, everybody, it's the Batgirl episode. Guess who's here?
0: I come like on <laughs> in the back but that cycle. And it's a very appropriate subject given our guest today.
1: Oh, very much so. So if you couldn't yeah, tell I'm, by I'm that dulce tone this. right there, that is Sir Mark Haramil with uh, joining us yes. once again. And we have a very special guest today. Uh, we yes. have an author, John LeMay. I, did I say that right?
2: That's correct. Thank you, Chris.
1: All right. And he's talking about, or I'm sorry, we're going to be talking about his new book, which is a topic I absolutely love. If you've listened to, especially some of our early shows with Mark, you know this. I'm an absolute nutcase for this kind of stuff. So um, considering that Mark actually contributed to this book, I'm going to hand it over to Mark to kind of lead the way. So Mark, please. Take
0: it. Take it away. Okay, well, we're excited to have author John LeMay joining us. And we're here to talk about uh, his newest book. Uh, It's the third in his series, The Big Book of Japanese Giant Monster Movies. Volumes 1 and 2 have been out for a while. And both are available via Amazon. Both fantastic books covering uh, the, the, the past half-century of uh, the kaiju genre. But his third edition, he devoted to films that most people haven't seen, and most of us haven't seen. Uh, the newest one is the big book of Japanese giant monster movies, The Lost Films. And it's devoted to rare, obscure films, and mostly uh, lost projects, early versions of films that were made, other, uh, you know, very notorious projects such as Mothra vs. Bagan, and, uh, and uh, as of late, uh, projects that were never made, such as Batman Meets Godzilla and The Bride of Godzilla. And uh, John did really in-depth research, and <laughs> in, in using Japanese publications and Japanese sources, uh, skipping over the internet here, see, we're going straight to the sources, and um you did a fantastic job compiling this book. And everyone I know who's read it has nothing but high praise for it, including myself. Given that I love the subject matter uh, as well. So, uh, John, so what possessed you to make the third volume about these lost films?
2: Well, I had uh, so much fun writing those first two volumes. I wanted to do something else. And uh, you know most most authors write what they want to read. You know I've heard a lot that a lot of authors say I, I wrote the book because I wanted to read it. And uh, Mark, you had a similar story. You told me you were glad that I wrote this book because you were thinking about doing something similar. So you were kind of relieved that I had done it. And I I in the same vein was hoping that someone like Steve Rifle or August Dragoni would maybe one day do a book on these uh, very numerous actually lost uh, Toho and Dai. Godzilla Gamera scripts, and since nobody seemed to be working on it, I, I figured I'd just go ahead and give it a try. And uh, luckily, uh, Toho had released a book called Toho Tokusatsu Unpublished Works, and it has uh, most of these scripts that never got produced. It actually has them in their entirety in this book, and um, and then some of the other scripts were in books like Toho, Cham- uh, Toho Champion Matsuri Perfection, and so I just bought a bunch of different Japanese books and I uh, used some OCR software to rip the, the text off of the pages. And then you would run that through Google Translate and you get a really awful translation. But if you're a decent detective, you can, you can kind of uh, figure out what's going on and get the gist of it.
0: Yeah, it's especially uh, online translations from Japanese, or they're pretty much touch and go. Sometimes they're pretty accurate, other times they're very bizarre. Especially with names, because Japanese names have meaning, and usually the uh, translation software gives you the literal <laughs> meaning of their name versus just the, uh, the pronunciation of it. But it's 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 great to see that you use sources like this, because um, a, a lot of collectors will pick up these Japanese books, but you know. For most non-Japanese fans, um, you know, there's a big language barrier because even though you know, I myself, you know, can read some Japanese, but I'm hardly fluent, and uh, I can just imagine the difficulty you faced, you know, going through the articles, you know, page by page, <laughs> paragraph by paragraph, you know, hoping that uh, your translation was pretty accurate.
2: Yeah, and sometimes, you know, I'd be blind. I, I was actually translating uh Shogo Tomiyama's book today that he wrote called uh Managing Godzilla, and I was really hoping it would have um some of Shogo's treatments in there, and I was kind of blind, to scanning a page here and there. And, you know, so sometimes, you know, when you can't read any Japanese words at all, you can end up wasting your time, because I, I found that Shogo Shogo Tomiyama's book that I was doing today was mostly stuff that I I already knew, unfortunately, so definitely uh, very tough.
0: Yeah. Well, one book that uh, I would love to use your method for was uh, Kim Pachudo Satsuma's book that he wrote uh, about 30 years ago now. or, or 25 years ago, I think. Uh, North Korea Through the Eyes of Godzilla. That was his memoir and his recollection of going to North Korea to film Pogasari, given that he was the suit actor for Pogasari. And uh, I know some people have a copy of it. It's, it's fairly easy. In fact, I believe they uh, they uh, published a newer edition a couple of years back in Japan, and uh, that's one I definitely love to translate and, and uh, read. Very interesting story there. Yeah. But uh, anyway, your, your book. Um, so you you bring up uh, yeah an interesting point because I remember when you. Got a hold of me. I, I had seen your uh, other books on Amazon before, but I, and you know, I have, I love, uh, books about kaiju and tokusatsu, especially if they're in English. And I had seen yours, but I hadn't ordered them. And then, uh, you had got a hold of me. I guess you had seen my name on Facebook or something and knew what I was working on. And you approached me about, you know, contributing to the book and, um, you sent me, PDF copy of your manuscript, and I was uh, pleasantly surprised at how in depth your research was, and, and you know, how uh, you you really valued accuracy. You know, because a lot of what I read about, you know, the films that I've done a lot of research on, most of what I read online is you know um, inaccurate information. But you you took great care to make sure. That everything that you put down was confirmed and you answered the questions for me. And, uh, yeah, and then uh, I learned a lot of things, you know, concerning the unmade projects that you had researched and I was just really blown away by it. And I was, you know, very enthusiastic. Like, yes, I would love to (laughs) contribute to your book. Thank you for the invitation.
2: Well, thank you for accepting. You know, I, I, since I'd never talked to you before, I wasn't sure what your response would be. And, and that was a big reason I sent the book was so you could see it was, you know, it was serious. This is for real, you know? Um, and actually everybody I approached was very nice and everyone, uh, you know, agreed to, to give me an essay. So I'm very thankful it all worked
0: out. Yeah. I, I was very, uh, I was a little surprised, but very happy to see that, uh, uh, one of the, the contributors is Don Glute. Um, cause I also talked to him a couple of years ago, you know, about uh, being part of the Kaiju Gaiden project documentary. And, yeah, he agreed and mixed off to film his interview. But, you know, Don is the perfect person to ask about this. Now, sure, he's not Japanese, he didn't work on the Japanese films, but Don Glute invented the fan film. He invented these independent projects. He's the perfect person, you know, to talk about these things because he knows what it's like. To make these films on a minuscule budget,
1: and, and especially
0: also, back in the day when he was younger and uh, you know didn't have much
1: experience. And he also penned a script for a proposed American Ultraman movie, didn't he? Yes, he did.
3: He did. He spoke about that briefly when we had him on a panel.
1: Yes, and
3: Chris, uh, I remember yeah. he spoke about that briefly, and uh, your face was amazing, Chris. I think the entire time of the panel. You were very excited. Yeah, we were talking and about dinosaurs I think Dawn is a great resource.
1: We were talking about dinosaurs. Pretty much the panel was—it was just kind of like dinosaurs and films. Jessica got Dawn on. And I'm just like, all right, cool. And it just turned into like, let's just talk about the Dawn Glute Hour. That it's like, what else did you do? Because when he brought up, he worked on Dino Riders and He-Man, which you could not legally talk about anymore. And then I'm like, well, what else? And I I showed a clip of um. Oh, what is it? Uh, um. Attack of the Super Monsters. Yes. And he looked at that, and he turned, and he's like, huh, that's weird. I'm like, what? He's like, that's exactly the story I wrote for Super Mario when I did that. Uh, the script for Ultraman. I, I stopped and I'm like, excuse me? He's like, oh, yeah, yeah, I wrote an Ultraman script, and dinosaurs came out of the Earth, and they were sentient, and Ultraman had to fight them. I'm like... Shut the hell! I, I'm like, I, yeah. It's, I mean, Jessica <laughs> had a picture. You can see my eyes bulge out of my head. I'm like, okay. Now we need to pull you aside one day and get. I, I need to know more about this. So, again, it it pretty much shows you my my. It's it, it's it's a passion for this kind of stuff. Like, it's it's with guys we always do the what if stories or like you know, the, the very fantasy scenarios. Like would you do this or would you do that kind of thing? I'm not gonna go in deeper into that. You can pick it up, but the, always the what if though, just you know, grabs me, you know, by the you know, uh, the back of my my brainstem, and it, it always blows my mind. So, and you know, not to jump in, but or to really cut Mark off, but I'm looking at stuff here. There's a lot of stuff I knew about. Like I knew about volcano monsters. I knew about um, Godzilla versus Red Moon. But I'd never heard of uh, some of the Gamera stuff, because that stuff's a little more obscure. I'm looking here, one chapter is Gamera, uh, the, the giant monster versus the Iceman from outer space. Never heard of it before. So if, if we could, that'd be a good place to start. Could you give a little bit on that and how you came across that?
2: Sure. So I think August Ragoni was the first person to talk about that uh, in the West, and he talks about it on the Gamera vs. Baragon audio commentary track. And so Gamera vs. the Iceman was the, f- the first uh, Gamera sequel, mm-hmm. and I think the theme of it was fire and ice. They liked the idea that since Gamera was a fire monster, what if he had to fight these these icy aliens? And there's a lot of interesting things t- to this uh, script, Chris. Um because Gamera was going to fight a, a frost giant. Um, you guys probably remember Thor, the yeah. 2011 oh, yeah. Thor, <laughs> has the frost giant. So yeah. yes. that's basically who Gamera would have fought in the end battle. And I uh, actually liked the idea of this this giant ice uh you know this ice giant. And they thought, well, I don't think we think that's a good opponent for Gamera. But what if we give this uh, giant humanoid his own movie? And what if he's stone? And that—that's basically how Mejin came about, because Dai Mijin was was produced uh, at the same time as Gamma versus Baragon, and supposedly that is why. Um, another in- interesting thing about Gamma versus the Iceman from Outer Space, and this isn't in my book because I didn't know this yet, but uh, Mark, you'll think this is interesting. I just learned from a Japanese magazine that. Originally, Dr. Hidaka and the other two main adult characters from the first Gamera movie, they were supposed to be the human protagonists of Gamera versus the Iceman. So that's, you know, an interesting new discovery.
0: Hmm, so it would have been the direct continuation of the first film. Yep, absolutely. Same characters. Because you didn't see that in too many of the Showa era films, no characters coming back. I mean, uh, Dr. Yamane, He did appear, uh, briefly in the second Godzilla film, Godzilla Raids Again, but, uh, yeah, but in the Gamera films, to my knowledge, uh, that didn't happen until the the Heisei era films.
1: Yeah, they're all, they're all pretty independent of each other, Even they're pretty much just, like, Gamera's around, and he fights something, and everyone knows about it, so. Yeah.
3: Yeah. So, John, we saw that there were so many of the films that you had listed, not only on your index, but also on Amazon. How did you pick the films that you did to write primarily about?
2: So basically, if a film's not in there, it's just because I didn't know about it. Um, like somebody told me the other day about a, a Mijin, uh remake with Kevin Costner. Like the only reason that's not in there is I just didn't know about it. So anything
0: I knew about, I put in there. Yeah, okay. I, had the, I had the issue of...
3: Kevin uh, Costner. Yeah, okay. he
0: was interested in, in doing a remake of Dime in uh, the early 90s. I had an issue of b Club, uh, it was covering the making of God King Vidura, and there was a small, uh, article talking about that. Uh, he was interested in doing that, and I think Golden Harvest would have provided, uh, some of the special effects.
1: <laughs> Did you ever, um uh, John, did you ever find out anything on um, the proposed Daimajin uh, remake that Shizuke Kaneko was supposed to do before you did Gamera? You
2: know, I I didn't know anything about that. Did you have something to say, Mark? Because you might know better, more than I do about
0: that. Um, uh, Kaneko's Daimajin, no. I just I know uh, uh, Kato's Daimajin that he made in the uh, late '80s, early '90s. But uh, Kaneko's, I've only heard that he was interested. I really know nothing about you know what he intended to make.
1: Yeah, that, that was one of the ones I believe he talked about that um, at the Gamera 3 premiere uh, out here at uh, G-Fest eons ago. And
0: I was there, but he just barely mentioned it, that he wanted to do that. But then, you know, uh, Dai da- da- da felt that uh, Gamera was a more marketable property. Uh, that's about the extent that I remember when he talked about that. I actually
1: do believe that also at one point they, they did consider Takashi Mikae to do one as well. I think that was right around like Gamma the Brave, and I think Gamma the Brave tanked that. Um, and I, but I do believe that that led him to do... What was it? Oh, Great Yokai War. Because I believe he made that for Kawa, if I'm not mistaken. I don't have that right Yeah. Me, yeah,
0: yeah. But, but Daimajin did eventually come back in uh, a very altered form in Daimajin Kanon, the TV show. Which I've seen... St- <laughs>
1: Which I seen yeah, the first yeah. episode of, and it plays like a really weird Tokusatsu uh, like action show.
0: Yeah, I, I had to look up the mythology because I didn't even know it. it it's it's a very, uh, it's it's more like Kamen Rider meets yokai, mm-hmm. and you know there's a uh, a very strange alternate version of Daimajin that that appears.
1: And that now, John, to do with it. But... John, if I can ask one more thing on the camera, I'm looking at gamma versus Wyvern. <laughs> Uh, what do you have on that?
2: Okay, so there's not much on that one because they didn't ever actually write a script for it. Mm-hmm. But what's funny is even though they didn't write a script, supposedly they had built the, the Wyvern suit. And uh, what happened was uh, Dai announced their bankruptcy and then the staff workers got really angry and they destroyed the Gamera suit. And if the, the Wyvern suit existed, then they destroyed that along with it and i should probably clarify gamma vs. wyvern has nothing to do with gara gamma versus gara sharp
0: mm-hmm.
2: which is the giant cobra monster um so there's a pretty good possibility that they played with the idea of gara sharp back in the 1970s before Dai went bankrupt mm-hmm. but gara sharp is really uh more from the 1990s and at one point Dai was was thinking about making an hour long i believe directed video uh Noriyaka Noriyuki Uasa Gamma film and I think that the uh the footage that you see with the little models of Gamma versus Garasharp, I think that was supposed to be kind of like a a little test run just for fun mm-hmm. uh mini movie
1: yeah pretty much like a proof of concept video more than anything Yeah else. yeah well, uh, I mean, I'm looking I'm, – there's so much here. I'm, I just don't even know where to jump in. Uh, Jessica, do you have one you want to talk about?
3: I do. I do. You know, I think – I'm I'm about to show a little bit of my bias here. Um definitely Batman meets Godzilla because it's two of my favorite characters and even I think I discovered Godzilla when I was closer to 4, but Batman would have been the first at the age of 3. So, I would say honestly everything that I do know about the film is either something that I've read online, which could be true, could not be true, depends on how much detective work you get into it. And everything that I try to know is by people that I've asked who worked at Warner Brothers, who currently works at D.C. now, regardless of whether they worked during the time of the 60s. But, you know, it would be somebody who is now and I've even I've been able to do press interviews with um, Mr. Ward and Mr. West. And, you know, and I've asked them about the film. So I didn't know if there was something, John, that you may let us know. I didn't know. Have you talked to Toho or anyone directly? I don't know how much you've tried to have have you tried to reach out to like Warner Brothers in D.C. Maybe they even gave you a better answer than I've received from them over the years. Um, Or were you able to write upon what you can find online and what you've read?
2: So what I found actually came from a university and I don't remember which uh, university it was but William Dozier the producer of the Adam West Batman TV series gave all of his papers to a university which is pretty custom and somehow I found out about it I don't I don't even remember how I found out about it but so I I talked to this university and I paid them their little duplication fee and they sent me the actual 22-page treatment for Batman meets Godzilla so that's the only thing that I have that's concrete is that 22-page treatment, which is uh, undoubtedly 100% part of the Batman TV show. And I mean, it was right. there's no question it was written for Adam West. Um, the big question is what did Toho have to do with it? Um, initially, I thought that Toho had nothing to do with it. Um, so Toho had a script called Not Batman Meets Godzilla but Godzilla versus Batman and this was wow. in 1965 be- you know before Batman meets Godzilla wow. so i've been wow. reading uh, some japanese uh, websites and there's a japanese script collector who says that he's seen bits and pieces of Shinichi uh, Sekizawa's Batman versus Godzilla and what c- was interesting to me is is the way that this Jap- japanese man described it um He describes many of the same elements that were in Batman Meets Godzilla. So from that, I would draw the conclusion that Shinichi Sekizawa wrote uh, Batman Vs. Godzilla Treatment, and then that was probably given to William Dozier by, I would guess, Henry G. Saperstein, Godzilla's American agent, so to speak, in the 1960s. And uh, Dozier probably had someone in his camp adapt it to his TV series. And it would be my guess that it never got far enough along in development that Adam West or, or Burt Ward would have, have ever even heard of it. But, uh, Jessica, I definitely want to hear what you know about it.
3: <laughs> you know what? I'm going to be really honest. Um, a lot of the people I've spoken to either didn't even know that it existed or said, like, oh, I didn't know whether that was a thing. I thought it was a hoax. Oh, I don't know. It, I don't know whether it would have even been made. Do you know I what was, I mean? Back in the 60s. It
0: was real for the longest time. I, I was...
3: Six. Right. Right. And, you know, know, even the higher ups, which yeah. I don't want to name, even like they did you know, because you don't want to embarrass them at their position. Um, mm-hmm. Even they were like, oh, I didn't even know that was an actual thing. I didn't know that it was real. And, you know, at the time I had met and interviewed Mr. West and Mr. Ward, it was... Um, they were already older gentlemen. So I didn't know, you know, their answers were obviously very short, like, oh, sounded good, or yes, I kind of knew. But you couldn't. I couldn't tell whether it was an answer of, yes, they've read the script and they just don't want to talk about it, or whether their memories of it is not exactly what their memory is of it now, if that made sense. It's almost like a friend who asked you, do you remember being invited to that birthday party? And you're like, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I did. And then after a fact, you were like, oh, wait, I didn't even know I was invited to that birthday party. So I didn't want to draw any conclusions from like their memories of it now because it would be over 30, 40 years. You know, I mean, not sorry. I mean, it wouldn't be over. Yeah, it'd be it'd be many years ago. Excuse me. My math is not great. And so I didn't want to take their answers for granted and say that is absolute truth. So that's. To be honest, as far as I know, which is less than you, since you're able to actually get the replication of it from the university. So, which I, I've never seen.
0: I don't. Uni- I have not it seen the university it. University of Wyoming, and I'll send you a copy of it so I have a copy of it too.
3: Oh, okay, great. Yeah, so I, I've not seen that. So I can't <laughs> yeah. say, you I'll, know, I'll really past that. It, it's
2: it, yeah, it's worth reading, it's very entertaining.
3: It's, that's amazing that's that, amazing that's great and so that's why i was like you know what i'd rather check with you since you actually did research into it past the internet and onto something a little bit more substantial so
1: it's like it's like when the uh the the dude uh, went out to that uh field out there in uh, in new mexico of all places and dug up the uh the fabled atari uh, et games he confirmed it right he confirmed, right? <laughs> he
3: confirmed <laughs> it exactly
1: so, Mark, do you have one on this list that, uh, that, that's piquing your interest you'd like to talk about?
0: Uh, yeah. Um, I, you know, in addition to, you know, contributing to the book, uh, I attended John's panel. He did G G-Fest about the lot of films, and he put on a fantastic uh, PowerPoint presentation. And, uh, you know, he only had an hour, and there's so much to go over. But, uh, the, the crowd, it was a capacity crowd and they were just blown away by the information that he gave them. And what, you know, he did talk about Batman meets Godzilla, of course, that's a big one. But the one film that he went into great detail about and the the crowd was just, they, they couldn't believe it. And you got a tremendous reaction, uh, in telling them the story and the synopsis, um, about The Bride of Godzilla. So what can you tell us about The Bride of Godzilla?
2: So The Bride of Godzilla, I'm glad you brought it up, because it has such a far-reaching uh, impact. It actually, it actually stretches all the way to the 1984 Godzilla. So that first scene in the 1984 Godzilla, where where it's it's actually kind of unclear, you've got a boat in a stormy ocean, and then you see Godzilla, I assume, kind of rise up from a volcano. It's kind of confusing. You don't really know what you're seeing. And then, you know, the the guys on the boat get attacked by Chakalas, the the giant sea lice um, that drain their blood. So that all comes from Bride of Godzilla. Bride of Godzilla was written in 1956. And here's something else that's really funny. The author of Bride of Godzilla was one of the title Mysterians in the movie The Mysterians. He was a bit part actor named Hideo Unagami, and he was indeed one of the Mysterians in that Toho film. Um, wasn't a speaking part that I know of, but I just think that's some interesting trivia. But Unagami's uh, script uh, was all about Godzilla living in a, a hollow earth cavern. And in this hollow earth cavern with Godzilla were uh, the giant, you know, sea lice uh, that attack people. And I, I think that these things were also precursors to the Meganuron from Rodan as well. Um, Bride of Godzilla is similar to Rodan in a lot of ways in that this underground cavern is discovered by way of a Kyushu mine, just like in Rodan. And, uh, with Godzilla in the underground world is a proto version of Rodan, which is a, he isn't named and it's a, a different type of prehistoric reptile than what Rodan was, but there is a giant flying Rodan type monster, uh, Angurus is down there as well. And, uh, somehow in this crazy plot, you've got a, a doctor who has created a giant, uh, robot uh in the image of his foster daughter that has the face of his ex-lover. And, and this robot is uh, basically a giant naked Barbie doll. And uh when Godzilla and the other monsters come out from under the ground, he he sends his giant robot daughter to attack them. And the story ends with the robot daughter killing Angurus and the, the Proto-Rodan. And she and Godzilla go back to the cave together and it turns out that she is a uh, a secret atomic bomb. She hugs Godzilla. They explode, and the movie ends. And there's mermaids. There's also mermaids. What? We can't forget that.
3: Yeah. Oh, everything I could ever want in a film.
1: <laughs> yeah. Wow. Okay. That's yeah. Uh, first off, so the Earth thing. So that's obviously something Legendary's opting for their uh, MonsterVerse to kind of as a nice explanation of. Um, you know, the were giant things have been dwelling for the past, you know, millennia. Um, Protos, Angulus before Angulus, prototype. prototype it, yeah, this is uh, part of my French. Batshit, insane. I love it.
0: But a lot, a lot of what John was saying, it, it, it's it's very fascinating because there's so many aspects from Bride of *Godzilla* that was used in in subsequent films. Mm-hmm. I a mean, yeah, like you mentioned in Rodan, mm-hmm. and uh, John, you had said uh, at the uh, G Fest panel that the giant flying monster was like a, a giant Archaeopteryx, a feathered, um, a feathered like dinosaur bird. Yes, that's correct. Yeah, and uh, if you look at some of the uh, publicity photos of the first Rodan film, <coughs> uh, much like the '54 Godzilla, the early some of the early uh, publicity photos featured uh, an, uh, a maquette of Rodan, an early version of it, which had, which features feathers and looks quite different than the finished suit. So it's it's you know it's not hard to imagine that they were influenced by the idea of the archaeopteryx right from the of Godzilla.
1: It sounds like a well that uh, you know the producers kept going back to eventually.
0: Even Godzilla versus Biollante,
1: mm-hmm.
0: you know, a mad scientist creates, you know, a, basically a monster in the image of a, you know, beloved daughter or ex-wife or lover.
1: That's also a little Evangeliony too, just 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 a tad bit right there too. Like <laughs> the the whole you know, dude making something out of his, you know, the, in the image of his wife and it's kind of his daughter. Yeah, it, it, and that's a whole convoluted mess for another day, but. Yeah, that and for what? 1956, you said. Yeah,
2: 1956.
1: That is a wacky, wacky premise. Like, genius, but wow, for for that age too. I mean, like, we there's a lot of wacky stuff that came out like in the 50s, especially like you know stateside. But it was all like fairly straightforward. Like, if you, like American monster movies were just like there's something big, it attacks, and the military eventually kills it. I mean, it was, I mean, say what you will about the actual. Monsters they would use, but like they were pretty cut and dry. This is just like a weird hodgepodge of, of wonder. <laughs> so I'm I'm sh- I'm, I'm just I'm, I'm I know I'm kind of flabbergasted that uh, something like this was, and this was supposed to be the the follow up this to uh, the first Godzilla movie, right?
2: No, actually, follow up to Godzilla raids again.
1: Okay. Yeah, oh,
2: okay. so, so was actually returning. It, it was a way of uh, <clears throat> reusing the suit, I think. Uh,
1: that makes sense.
2: Um, yeah, another crazy thing, too. Uh, Tomoyuki Tanaka liked this script so much that in 1978, when they were doing these Godzilla revival meetings, he gave the Bride of Godzilla script to Shuichi Nagahara, and he told him, hey, would you rewrite this for the 1970s, for today? And so Shuichi Nagahara actually wrote three new drafts based off of uh, Bride of Godzilla, which eventually evolved into something called King of the Monsters: Resurrection of Godzilla, and that script, in turn, eventually evolved into the 1984 Godzilla. Wow.
1: <laughs> well, do you have do you have any information on the uh, the the 70s drafts? Was there? Um... Any major changes do you I mean do, what have you learned about those,
2: okay, like yeah, the seventies bride of Godzilla drafts, mm-hmm. okay, yeah, um, they were just more down to earth they didn't have the giant naked robot daughter instead they actually had one of them had a kind of a female mecha godzilla is how I would describe it, <laughs> and that got scrapped in the second draft for just an actual flesh and blood female Godzilla and that carried over into the third draft. Um, They weren't terribly interesting, but they they all had this concept of, instead of a a mine in Kyushu, it's just an island Mm -hmm. with a hollow cavern underneath a volcano. Mm -hmm. And again, I think that's why in 1984, Godzilla, you see Godzilla rise up out of a volcano. I think that's the remnant of those scripts. Wow,
1: fascinating. Again, like the fact that you've dug all this up, much, much like I've always complimented Mark for finding the Wolfman stuff. This, this, this is a treasure trove right here, sir. <laughs> you've done some great work. Oh, um, thank you, you. I'm looking at one right here: Godzilla, Legend of the Asuka Fortress. Is that? Am I pronouncing that right?
2: That's right. Um, I'm kind of I'm proud of that one because I think I cleared up a misconception on that one. Uh, for years, that was reported as two different movies, and one of them was supposed to have originated in 1978, but in reading Toho Tokusatsu Unpublished Works, it uh, very specifically states, and the translation was clear enough, um, I'm confident in this, um, there was no 1978 Godzilla versus the Asuka Fortress. Um, what it was, was, uh, you know, Toho had a script contest for the film to follow the 1984 Godzilla, and one life. of them was called Godzilla versus the Robot Corpse. and mm-hmm. And uh, Tomiyuki Tanaka didn't like that one as well as he liked Godzilla versus Biollante, but he told Shinichi Sekizawa to write a draft uh, based off of this uh, storyline, anyways. Just and maybe that would be Godzilla number three, even if it wasn't Godzilla number two. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's basically the Asuka Fortress is is also a precursor to Gunhead. Uh, that script actually turned into Gunhead is what to- Togusatsu Works uh, says. Mm-hmm. So it's just a giant, sentient computer um, that turns against mankind, just like uh, Skynet and Terminator. And uh, Godzilla is the only thing that can stop it.
1: <laughs> ah, that's awesome. Um, there was one... Um, did you ever get anything on... Uh, what was It was supposed to be the... Follow-up to *Destroyer*, where they were gonna do Junior's like solo movie, and you was supposed to fight a uh, a creature that was more the concept of like th- of the thing that it could shapeshift.
2: I think I yeah, I think I know what you're talking about. Oh, I yeah. had no clue about that. My editor Ted Johnson was the one who who actually my editor Ted Johnson on this book. If you read an entry called *Bio Godzilla*, that's entirely his. I didn't write it. Mm-hmm. Um, I just wanted to give him credit on that. Um so Ted dug that up and so yeah there was the junior uh character was supposed to continue I think it was only after Tomiyuki Tanaka died that Shogo Tomiyama decided no let's do away with junior let's make this a new Godzilla and forget about the the Heisei continuity so I don't know much about like the the thing shape shifting type stuff but yeah there was definitely a, a sequel with junior
1: all right. Well, uh, since we're kind of we're gonna start hitting the homestretch. Um, you mentioned when we're off air, you have you you got some new discoveries. Can you uh, tell us about those?
2: Yeah, I'd love to. Um, and I would say I've got another thirty minutes left too, if, if okay. uh, yeah. you know that works for you guys. But, um, okay, something really cool I learned the other day. Mm-hmm. I was r- researching the original Mothra, and. Uh, you know, we talk about the Toho shared universe and we kind of wonder when when Toho decided that would be a thing. And we've always just assumed it was at the point of like King Kong versus Godzilla and Mothra versus Godzilla, but um in what I was reading it says that in the original Mothra script 1961, a character was supposed to remark that, "Oh wow, Mothra is bigger than Godzilla." So Mothra would have acknowledged the the existence of Godzilla in a shared universe apparently and You know, for whatever reason, they just cut that line out, that idea out. Um, I thought that was really interesting.
1: It's it's fascinating what one or two lines can can change sometimes. Yes.
3: Was there anything that you wished you could have put more in your book or that you had kind of a little bit more time or a little bit more facts that you'd be able to add into it?
2: So, yeah, you brought up more time. When I wrote this book a year ago, uh, my dad was in the process of selling his business, and we were also in the process of, like, moving a bunch of stuff off of our property and selling the business. So, I was really preoccupied. Um, And I I really wanted to get the book out, though. You know, just, you know how you are. You're like, well, you know, what if something happens and I can't do this book? So, I wanted to get it out. Um, So there will definitely be both a sequel and a revised and expanded second edition one day, for sure. So, um, And I'm actually working on it right now. Um, I've I've already expanded on uh, quite a few things. Um, Anything you can go into? Sure, like uh, Peter H. Brothers helped me recently with uh, the original Godzilla script for the 1954 film. Um, learned some interesting things about it, which are all uh, in his wonderful book. Uh, if, if you haven't heard of it, it's called Atomic Dream, or what is it? Nuclear Nightmare and the Atomic Dream, or something like that. It's a really exhaustive study on the original 1954 Godzilla. Um, did some research on Destroy All Monsters. Um, here's something neat that I, I found some, I guess you could call it some concrete proof of. We've always wondered why Baragon didn't emerge uh, in Paris so uh, I've found two different uh, Toho endorsed uh, books now they both say the same thing it wasn't because uh, Toho didn't have the suit or that Toho hadn't repaired the suit in time that wasn't it it was because Baragon's ears would have been damaged had he emerged under the ground like that it would have been too hard on them so the ears were a problem so they had so Barragon could have done the scene that there were, the suit was there, apparently, but it just would have been too hard on the ears, and that's why they changed it to Gorosaurus,
0: which never made
1: sense. But okay, no, <laughs> it's a, it's uh, I'm a glad. go with it. <laughs> go ahead. You had man.
0: mentioned uh, an updated uh, version of the book because there's always so much more to add. A couple things that, uh, uh, you touch on briefly: uh, the lost king kong films from the 30s uh the japanese king kong films and uh a, a couple of you do have a few illustrations in the book two of them uh because i remember you and i had discussed it when you were doing the book um you did include uh two photos which are from wasei king kong in 1933 king kong movie and you have a list there. The only surviving images of King Kong made in Japan. And uh, there's one of the Kong on the building holding a woman, and there's another one of him on top of a tower with a plane in his hand. Um I have a third photo. Oh awesome. For for you. Yeah. Um so I collect the stuff too, so I have a third photo for you for the next uh edition of the book. Now, what uh,
1: what, what say King Kong is different from King Kong and Ido, right?
0: Yeah, there, uh King Kong and Edo was made like nineteen thirty eight or thirty
1: nine. And both are pretty much lost films at this
0: point. Yes, yeah. I mean there are only a few images remain of them. Uh what King Kong appears in Edo, uh just that big poster image that appeared in Kiena Jumpo, and um you know, Wase King Kong uh a couple images appeared in recent Japanese books, but that's all that remains of them. Um uh, and uh Aside from the 30s King Kong films, you know, it just goes to show that, you know, Gojira was not the first, like, haiju. Um in addition to the Japanese King Kong films, there was the, uh, the, the film about the giant Buddha statue that came to life and wandered the countryside. And I have some uh, photos of that, plus some of the old, uh, uh, newspaper uh, uh, promo ads. And, uh, imagine a more benevolent Dime <laughs> And this, this was a film that was in me, yeah, I think in 30, 38 or 36. Yeah. We're talking like, like, nineteen thirty 1938, yeah, yeah, 16 years before Gojira. So, that's, that's another one that, <laughs> you know, so. unfortunately not much is known about it.
2: Very cool. I had that's the first time
0: like hearing of it, so very neat. Yeah, I have some photos off, I'll send those to you. Uh, one part of your book that I was very happy to see was uh, you, you dig up quite a bit of information on the uh, Toho Hammer co production of Nessie. You know what drives me
2: crazy about that is that's the one script that's in English, it has to be in English, and it's out there, but I can't find it.
0: Oh, okay, I'll, uh, I'll see what I can do.
2: <laughs> I, think I, I will say, though, just don't confuse it, because I already had someone give me the script, and it turned out to be uh, a different Nessie movie by John Sayles called Nessie, Sea Dragon of Loch Ness. Yeah, that you, script you, you mentioned favorite, that one. So. Yeah. Pretty, it's really? Pretty John, interesting wait, wait, wait,
1: wait. John Sayles wrote a Nessie
2: movie? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I can actually send I I still have it, so I can oh. definitely uh, send it to you oh, if you're interested. love
1: to read that. I love Alligator.
0: <laughs> I do too. That, that's a good movie. And, um, uh, interesting thing about, uh, Nessie, um, uh, I wrote an article for Crypto Mundo about the Nessie movie. And, uh, you know, up until that point, there hadn't really hadn't been that many Nessie films made. You know? Uh, no,
3: there isn't. Yeah, there, there is. was, yeah, the, <laughs>
0: there was the, Loch, the Loch Ness horror. That's just terrible. And then, yeah. but, Yeah, which is, but it's great. I mean, it's, it's, you know, it's a cheap movie, but it's, it's entertaining. Yeah. But there were a couple of films, you know, made in the thirties. There was a Sherlock Holmes film featuring Nessie, and then there was one called The Secret of the Lock from 1934, which had, uh, an iguana, a live iguana, (laughs) uh, played Nessie during underwater scenes in which, uh, uh, a man in a diving suit reaches the bottom of the lock and encounters Nessie, which is a big, Iguana. <laughs> it,
3: yeah, it is. And there's also plenty of YA films as well. Young adult films that are also, I mean, it's, it is about, they've, they've got a but obviously the backdrop of it is teen Romance. So yeah. <laughs> there's those as well. <laughs>
0: a lot more recent films. Yeah. Cause you no, know, you have, you have things like the <laughs> water horse, you know, which I, I, I like is a pretty good movie. I think but,
1: I think actually they're they're turning. Um, uh, I forgot the guy who wrote Meg. He wrote a book called The Lock. And I think oh yeah, Steve you know, Alton. Steve yeah. Alton, Thank yes. you very much. I yes. believe that that just got optioned for a film like about a year ago.
0: Because
2: mm-hmm. Meg
1: finally went into production after like ten years. So uh, I think now that they're like, all right, well now it's rolling. What, el- what else? What else you got? So <laughs> which was even about like it was, I think his was even a plesiosaur. I think it was like another. It was just a. Um, a prehistoric fish. Forgot what it was though. I was I, I, my cousin was something because he loves those books. So uh, yeah, yeah. side low tangent there. Sorry about that.
0: Interesting thing about uh, the Toho Hammer Nessie is that the design was finalized. Um, the the um, in 2011, the uh, legendary designer from Toho, Yasuyuki Inoue. Wrote the book, the world of international, the world of special effects art design, and he had a lot of his original drawings that showed concept art for a lot of the classic Toho films, Showa films like *Son of Godzilla*, *Destroy All Monsters*, plus a lot of his work he did on a lot of the, the Toho, Toho Subraya war films. But uh, among all of that, there was a drawing by him which showed what Nessie was going to look like. Toho's design for Nessie, and uh, that's the only place I've ever seen. Uh, you know the actual design was in his book, and I did include it in my article for crypto Mundo*. And uh, it, it has a lot of the the, you know, the hallmarks of the classic Nessie sightings. It's plesiosaurus looking, but it has the the multiple humps on the back, and the the fins uh, have actually have digits on them. So it, it could be an amphibious monster. It's a, it's a really interesting design.
1: Little little crater likey, kind of.
0: Kind of, yeah, but uh, yeah, not not as streamlined.
3: Mm-hmm. It, yeah, it, I think it, his his flippers looked more like turtles, like turtle feet, <laughs> I guess I would say, as opposed but, to just kind of a smooth flipper. If yeah, I'm if I'm thinking of the same.
0: They, they remind me more of like uh the flippers of pinnipeds, you know, sea lions and, and such. Yeah. But uh it, it's an interesting design. You know, one, John, one of the, of the the films that you co- cover in your book, you know, we've been talking about some of the more far out ideas like Batman meets Godzilla and Bride of Godzilla, and you know, you also covered things like Wolfman versus Godzilla. More the independent productions that I've been looking into. But one of the wildest films that you cover in your book, and I'm totally fascinated with this, about how you found out about this and what more you can tell us about it, is the Godzilla vs. the Mysterians film that was proposed for 1990.
2: I think I found out about it on like a chat room when I assumed it was fake and it was fan fiction. Then I found the website, uh, and it, all you need to do is like Google Mick Anger. And Mike Anger has his own website, and he went ahead and posted his, his script that he pitched to Toho. And, um, I mean, normally I, I I don't even know that I would have considered someone writing a script and pitching it to Toho from outside of Toho and it getting rejected. I almost wouldn't even consider that a Last Godzilla movie because, you know, if Toho didn't acknowledge it. But here's the thing, they, they kind of did acknowledge it, or at least Koichi Kawakita acknowledged it. Um, So this guy, Mick Anger, was a music video producer uh, touring in Japan for Whitney Houston. And this happened to be when Godzilla vs. Biollante came out. Uh, He went to the theater to go see it. He didn't like it because Mick Anger is is very much a a Shawa Godzilla guy. So Mick decided he would write his own Godzilla script, what he thought the next Godzilla movie should be his uh managers at at dentsu uh got wind of it and they thought oh that's funny we'll we'll set you up with toho you know we have connections to to toho we'll take you to the studio give you a tour so mick anger he actually meets koichi kawakita he tells him i've got this idea for godzilla versus the mysterians uh kawakita he loves the mysterians that i think is his favorite tokusatsu film ever um and so he was you know all for that wanted to see this American's idea for uh, Godzilla versus the Mysterians. so anger wrote it and he gave it to Kawakita I'm not sure how well Kawakita actually liked that script but I know Tomiyuki Tanaka just you know was abhorrent to the idea of uh, a guyjin you know writing the next Godzilla movie so it was never even considered but um, most of the the script was set in Nevada kind of in the the Mysterians uh, Area 51 inspired underground base, and how I know that Kawakita liked this element of it is Kawakita wrote a Godzilla versus Mechagodzilla film, and that is primarily set in Nevada at Area 51.
0: Hmm. Interesting.
1: And that was uh, the Mechagodzilla film was based on their attempt to do a remake of Kong versus Godzilla, wasn't it? Correct. Yeah, and then Universal told them to shove it with the rights, and then they're like, all right, we'll do Mechanic Kong, and then they also told them to shove it on that, too. Am I, am I correct on that one?
2: Yeah, 100%. <laughs> I think that, it was technically Ted Turner, I think, owned Kong at that time. Hmm. I don't know. Is that right, Mark?
0: I, I, in it, the 90s, I, I think so. <laughs> the, the rights of Kong, because no, as far as I know now, King Kong and Kong are two different... Legal entities, I think yeah. it's intellectual very interesting.
1: That's why Legendary's yeah. monsters called Kong and not King Kong proper. So um, I think that was because uh, Universal, I think, has some claim. I think it's part of it. They they own I guess, I think the RKO's library or something like that. And or no, it's, yeah no, they have some claim, but then. Three other people actually have claimed to it, I believe, if my memory serves me correct. So, it's... You can call Big Ape Kong all you want, and pretty much kind of propose it as King Kong, but I believe properly calling it King Kong is... That's where you get into, like, a weird legal mumbo-jumbo, so... Uh, sad, but, you know, I it, hell froze over, and we're getting a new one, so, you know, in it, some <laughs> form, you know, it's... It, took, you know, an American studio to do it, but we're getting one, so, uh, real quick, uh, some, some projects you found that surprised the hell out of you?
2: Uh, well, Bride of Godzilla, Batman meets Godzilla, I, I would say all of them surprised me, except for some, like, Mothra vs. Began didn't surprise me too much, um, but just mostly those really crazy ones, so I, I think we've covered the ones that, uh, were really shocking,
1: and then uh real quick again uh, we don't, we I don't think we delved into it. And new stuff that you've discovered.
2: Yeah, um okay, I I'm, I'm really happy to talk about this. Okay. Um this isn't my theory. I I read this in a Japanese magazine called Tokusatsu Haiho. Um so you know, there's the story that Gorgo started out as a movie called Kuru Island which was to be co-produced by the King brothers with a, a studio in Japan. Mm-hmm. And to this day, the identity of this studio has never been revealed. We still don't know who the Japanese producers were that backed out on Gorgo. But um, this author came up with a really good theory that because the King brothers released Rodan and were so happy with it, that naturally they would have approached Toho. And here's where the proof may lie. There's a 1959 or 58 uh, Godzilla manga. And in this manga, uh, Godzilla's infant son uh, swims ashore in Tokyo, and he gets, uh, I think, put in a zoo, just like baby Gorgo, and Godzilla comes into Tokyo and rescues his son, and they swim out to sea together, and it's very much like Gorgo. So this this Japanese author puts forth the theory, you know, what if uh, Kuru Island was really kind of like a, a proto-version of Son of Godzilla? And then Toho backed out, and then you know they they created their own monster. Again, this isn't you know any t- any type of concrete proof. It's just uh, a plausible theory.
1: And the internet loves loves th- especially uh, Wilder theories like that. They yes. Eat it for breakfast. So
2: so that's that's what you can expect to see in, in the sequel and <laughs> the revised expanded edition.
1: Awesome. Anything else you can uh, delve into?
2: Oh, gosh, I'm so bad about thinking about things off the top of my head. Um, I'm having some fun right now with, with the sequel book. Uh, I think I'm going to delve into alternate versions of the Ultraman shows, which aren't lost films or necessarily lost TV shows. I was going to
0: bring up Ultraman right now, because you uh, you did mention Don Glut's Ultraman, which you do cover in the book. And also, uh, you talk about... uh uh, an alternate version of, uh, Hanuman and Ultra Brothers versus the Monster Army. You
2: kind of cut out for a second, Mark, but yeah, yeah. Uh, what was, was there a question or?
0: Yeah. Uh, cause I, I said you had uh, brought up some of the Ultraman shows. Yeah. In your book, you covered Don Galut's uh, uh, Ultraman film that he wrote that was never produced, but you also touched on the, the Chayo Ultraman films, uh, you mentioned the Seven Ultra Brothers versus the Monster Army. <clears throat> Are you covering the the one that actually came out in Thailand, or was there another alternate version that was proposed?
2: Oh, okay. Um, so yeah, what I was talking about in this this next bu- book is I'm I'm covering um the developmental process of the Ultraman TV shows, and that's why I was saying they aren't necessarily they they're not lost films, but I I think people they're kind of similar. And that people will be interested in how those shows develop. So that's that's just something else I'm working on. It, it's, and it's, I did finally find a proper story treatment for Ultraman Operation Giant, which I didn't have the first time around. And that was uh, what was supposed to be an all-original 1967 theatrical Ultraman movie. So. That's uh, something else that I'll either... I, I, I don't really know what I'm going to put in the sequel and what I'm going to put in the revised expanded edition yet. Like, I don't know what's going to go where, but I'll, I'll definitely have some stuff on that soon.
0: Yeah. I'm so happy that you're doing this, because like uh, I told you earlier and you had mentioned, you know, this is uh, something that I was thinking about doing when I started looking for these rare films. But, you know, you've, you've gone further. I was just looking for independent films and fan films out of Japan. You've, you've expanded that to cover you know, proposed projects from the major studios that never got past the development stage, uh, and you know very, very rare projects that, that never went anywhere or evolved into something else. And you, it, it's quite a Herculean effort on your part, and I'm so happy that you, that you wrote this book. Oh, well. I mean, when it's fun,
2: though, it's it doesn't feel like a job when it's fun. You know, yes. I'm, I'm very thankful time. that I can release the book and get royalties from it, and so it's it's a dream comes true. And I I'm definitely gonna hold you to one day write a book just about the fan films.
1: Oh, sir. I mean, just I, the the fan films, and then his. his um, I keep telling him, and he's a little, Mark's a little kind of coy on that, but I keep telling him, like, his, the story of him tracking down that film and everything that came out of it is almost a movie on to itself. Yeah. So, it's, it's, it's fascinating, so, uh, I, I'm kind of, like, non-him on that a little bit, too, so, because they're, they're, it's, <laughs> it's, 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 at some points it's almost too, it, it's, it feels almost too fantasy to be reality, but that's, sometimes that's the best reality you can get, so...
3: Was there anything you would love for us to have touched upon that you've thought of right now, John? That you'd like to talk about?
1: Well,
2: yeah, there's one uh, little thing I'd like to mention. Um, you know, Mark briefly mentioned my my other two Godzilla books which are The Big Book of Japanese Giant Monster Movies, uh, volumes 1 and 2, which just are, are uh, guidebooks on the films. Um, I actually recently did a, a revised and expanded edition of volume 1. And I've reviewed over uh, 25 new films in that, like The Whale God, uh, Bermuda Depths, Voyage into Space, uh, H-Man, Warning from Space, just a lot of movies that I missed the first time around, and I've also reformatted the book where it's uh, a lot nicer, so that that's out on Amazon. If anybody was a fan of that first book, it, it's out there in a, a better new edition now. When did this come out? Uh I haven't really like I felt bad to blast it all over Facebook cuz I I feel like it's kind of too soon for a second edition of that book and I don't really want to seem like a, a a money grubber, you know what I mean? So I didn't really want to like put it out there on Facebook monsterland yet. And uh but it I just figured I'd put it on Amazon and see kind of how it did with no promotion just as an experiment. So this is the the first place I've really mentioned it publicly.
0: Oh that's great. I, it's I think it's definitely worth looking into. I mean you I mean, you're a very prolific writer. In addition to these subjects, you know, you know kaiju films, giant monster films out of Japan, uh, you've also authored a couple of other books. Uh you live in New Mexico, so you're a big fan of Southwest history. You recently did a, a book on Billy the Kid. That's correct,
2: I'm from Roswell where the aliens crashed So I've done books on the aliens And I've done books on Roswell's history Apart from the aliens uh, Billy the Kid hung around Roswell um, My Billy the Kid book won uh, New Mexico, Arizona book award For best uh, cover design So I'm excited about that um, So yeah, I, I have a history Within uh, the Southwest I also just had my first article On True West published So, so yeah, so they're my, my writing career really began in some ways more with the Southwest in terms of books, but my writing career actually began at G-Fan. That's where I had my first official published article. So, so I do owe my writing career to Godzilla and G-Fan in some ways.
0: Well, it's, it's fantastic. I mean, I'm looking forward to reading your book on Roswell because I'm very fascinated with that whole topic as well. And, uh, I'm, I'm going to hold you up to your, uh, uh, your offer to me, if I could, if I come down to visit you in southern New Mexico to take me to the actual crash site. <laughs> Absolutely. I, I've I've been to the uh, Patterson film site in Bluff Creek, and uh, so I definitely want to visit the Roswell crash site.
2: <laughs> awesome. Well, since yeah. you've got relatives in New Mexico, you've you've definitely got an excuse to uh, come through sometimes. Yeah, so I look yeah. forward to
0: it. Yeah, most of my relatives are up north, though, so like in Española and Taos, Santa Fe. But I do have uh, some done in Las Cruces. So. All
1: right. Well, um, I think we're pretty much at the hour mark now. So, uh, let's. Uh, I, th- I think I think that's a good spot to to end this uh, episode on. So, uh, Jessica, can you tell the good yes. people where to find more of our work?
3: Yes, um, you can find more of our work actually on iTunes. You can actually search us under the Kaiju Kingdom podcast. But also we are very active on our Facebook page, mostly uh, thanking to Chris who keeps updating our page and I see the wonderful notifications. So those are our two most active areas. And always, if you want to email us, we are the Kaiju Kingdom podcast at com. And also, John, where can we find more of you online other than your books on Amazon?
2: <laughs> I actually don't really have an online presence outside of Facebook, so I, I guess I should get a website one of these days.
3: Okay. Okay. Are, are people – before they, they go ahead for listeners, are people allowed to Facebook friend you? If you have not – if they've heard this podcast, should they Facebook friend you? Are you someone who's okay with that?
2: <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like Matt Frank. I'll, I'll friend him.
3: So, <laughs> so you'll friend everyone. You, you don't
2: have to follow me. You you can actually friend me. That's one thing I I like about Matt Frank. He he doesn't make you follow him. You you're actually like his his Facebook friend, which I think is actually really cool. So it, uh,
0: yes, yeah, absolutely. Yes. Uh, but, but open can, invitation find, to
2: friend me on Facebook.
0: You can find a lot of John's work uh, just typing his name, John Lemay, on Amazon, and you'll see all of his books, uh, including the the new edition. Of, the, uh, of volume one of the big book of uh, Japanese giant monster movies. Uh, according to Amazon, it came out August 9th. <clears throat> so it's only been out for a short while. Uh, including the newest one, The Lost Films. Uh, plus, also, if you're interested, uh, his book on, on Pat Garrett, uh, uh, Legendary Locals of Roswell, and uh, a lot of other interesting subjects. But, uh, you know, check him out. Uh, he's on. Uh, you can get his stuff on Amazon in print form and uh, and also Kindle editions, right?
2: That's right. Actually, I was so dumb. I know we're trying to wrap up, but I was so dumb and the self-publishing thing that I thought I was setting up a Kindle edition of that Volume 1 book, and it turned out I was actually setting up the print edition because I wasn't even going to do one. And it was only, like, halfway through. I was like, oh, this is the print edition. I guess I'll go ahead and do it anyways. And it's funny because the print edition, like, Outsells the Kindle editions like three to one, easy. So I'm glad I did.
3: Still won't yeah, them I wouldn't say dumb. Just like <laughs> there's no experience with yeah. it, you know, and it's something learning. So that's good because that shows that print is also not dead.
0: As Bob would yeah. say, a happy accident.
3: Yeah. <laughs> yes, yes.
0: Because look what's come of it. <laughs> Fantastic.
1: Alrighty, well that will do it for this edition of the Kaiju Kingdom podcast. I want to thank John LeMay for coming on And uh, b- just giving us a nice peek Into his uh, treasure trove of wonders That he has found So as my grandmother would say You're doing the Lord's work sir So.
2: <laughs> thank you guys I'd be happy to come back anytime It's a blast talking to you all When
1: you get that next book out man We're going to get you back on here Because okay. there's a whole lot of other stuff We need to get into So.
0: And hopefully we'll see you uh, At Stanley's Kamikaze If you're able to come out Hopefully so
1: Oh, yeah, We will not have to talk about that So, uh, that'll do it for myself and Jessica and And Mark. Thanks for listening guys. And we'll see you next time.